Welcome to Diverse City Church Sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's message by Pastor Ray. One more time over here. Melvin, help Melvin. It's time to be radical. See, we, we need to figure out a way to stop just doing church, right? We, we've mastered the concept of church. We show up, we stay for two hours, we help out, we volunteer, we raise our hands, we give into the offering, but we're not radical. How is it, if you're very honest, we all say that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, and most of us raise our hand and says we believe it, but how many's living in it? How many are honestly stepping out of the boat? you got to keep in mind, there was 12 in the boat, and only one of them was willing to step out. That means at one out of 12 is willing to truly take the Apostle Paul's words to heart and implement them in their life and walk on water. Can I tell you, most Christians in America fit in the paradigm or the box of the eleven. They stay on the boat and they never see the radical. I mean, you got to talk to people like Thomas Edison. You got to talk to people like Rosa Parks. You, you, you need to talk to people like, like, like Martin Luther or Martin Luther King. You, you need to talk to people who were willing to face the consequences and do the radical, and that's why they have left behind a legacy. Those who walk in comfort and they're not willing to be stretched and do something a little crazy are the ones that simply live their life and die and that's it. But for me, I want to go above and beyond. I want to step out of the boat, potentially even sink, but trust that God will get me up. Do I got anybody that's radical today? 2019 has to be a new year and, and I want to give you a few keys to success. Keys to success in 2019. Now keep in mind real quick before we start that these keys to success are biblical. These are not keys to success that I got out of a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. These aren't uh, success tips that I got off of CNN or ABC or NBC. These are biblical steps that you can implement and become better next year than you are right now today. Who wants to be better next year? Yeah, most of us do, right? That, that's the concept. That's the goal, is that we become better, that we do greater, and we achieve more. But, but regardless of what comes our way, we're happy because God is faithful, right? We're, we're not going to be more happy because we're higher up or less happy because we're still at the same place. We're going to be grateful, period, because our happiness isn't happiness, it's joy, and joy is based off of what God has done, not based off of what's happening, See, happiness comes and go, but the joy of the Lord is our strength, and it maintains. It's consistent. So now we are going to be joyful because of God, but we're going to be radical because of our creator. And we're going to trust him to do things that we never thought he could do, but we're going to start trusting him now. And when we trust him, that means we do something. I trust that this stool here will sit on me. Now, granted, I've had this stool. This has been my baby for nine years. Nine years. This is my favorite stool. Of all the stools we got, this is the best one. You want to know why? Some of y'all think I'm making this up. I'm not making it up. It's because it's broke. Well, what does that mean it's broke? What I mean is there's no buttons on it. See, with most stools, you got to come down here and flip something. And, you know, but not with this one. This is baby. You see what I mean? See? It's got that quick, don't need to do nothing. See, this, this is that one. It's like, hey, what's up, bro? Right? It's like a switchblade. So uh, this, this, this is my favorite stool. I mean, it's broke, but, but I like it. And, and, you know, I like it so much that I can trust it. Trust it so much that some weeks I stand up on it and people think I'm going to fall. Matter of fact, sometimes my pants are so tight, I think I'm going to fall. But every week, without fail, I can sit down because I know it's got me. Why do I say that to you? Because I know it's got me. Can I tell you that there's a lot of you that say you know that God's got you, but you never sit down in his presence. You never simply believe him to do what he says he can do. You sit there and you hear God say, I can do all things through you. But then when he tells you to take a step, you'd rather just keep working your job at $8 an hour when he told you to pack up and move across the country. Right? Like sometimes if, if we're really going to trust God for the unbelievable, then we need to believe him. Right? 
Uh, okay, so let, let's keep going. So the, so the first point, if you want to see success in your life in 2019 and believe God to unlock some amazing things, number one is we need to examine ourselves. Examine yourself. Now, now this, this is hard, guys. We need to examine ourselves. If you want more in 2019 than you have in 2018, it's going to require you finishing your year out by journaling in your heart, journaling in your mind, journaling literally on paper, and begin to come up with ideas of who you are, who you're not, what you've done, what you haven't done, and what you can do differently because we need to examine ourselves. i got a question. How many people journal? Raise your hand if you journal. I'm looking specifically for a reason. Uh, Keep your hands up. Okay. I'm trying to find a man. There's no men in here. I don't, don't tell me about who does. You do. One. He's like, bro, I be journaling. One, two, two. We got two journalers. You know why? Three. God bless you, brother. We were taught journaling is for girls, women. I mean, that's what I was taught. See, girls, you maybe weren't taught that, but I was. I don't journal, write my feelings down. Psh. I'm hard, bruh. Y'all know me. I don't need no journal, bruh. I write the pages of my book. But, but the reality is, is we need to journal. Let, let's change it up and say it like this. The Bible doesn't say journal, but the Bible talks about reflecting. The Bible talks about examining. The Bible talks about sitting down and getting still and meditating. It talks about going through your life and evaluating and and finding out what you've done well, what you could do better, and how you could do things differently. The only way that we're going to do better in 2019 is if we do a self-reflection of 2018. But the problem with doing a self-examination and starting to journal is you're going to start digging up and seeing some stuff that maybe you wished that you would not see. If you take the time to get quiet and hear God talk to you and allow some things in your head to be worked through your own self and you talk to yourself, you may be a little bit scared to find out the problem is not the black man or the white man or the male or the woman or the system or the structure or the government, but it's more about us than it is about everybody else. Can I tell you that if you are in Christ and Christ is in you and you believe him for the impossible, he can do anything regardless of who's in office. It doesn't matter if you voted for Trump, if you voted for Obama. It doesn't matter if the Republicans, if the Democrats. It doesn't matter who's in office, where you live. If you begin to change your process or your perception and you begin to do things differently, everything in your life can change. It's up to us. But for some reason, we believe that our future is connected to something else. Well, I can't do it because I live in St. Louis. How many of y'all heard that before? Well, if I lived in L.A., if I lived in Atlanta, if I live here, or if I went to Texas. No, 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 no. The problem is it's, it's, it's three letters, and it's um, uh, you. See, look at Lamentations chapter 3 and 40. It says, let us examine our own ways. Whose ways are you examining? This is so important because church people like to examine everybody else, don't they? <laughs> don't they? No. All right, hold. Church people love examining everybody else, don't they? See, see but look, real church people are Christians, Jesus followers. And what they examine is not everybody else. They examine themselves. And it says, let us return to the Lord. So let us examine our ways. Let us test ourselves. So now, how am I going to figure out? Isn't it amazing that almost every other thing has a test and then you see if you passed or not. But yet in this thing called life in progress, we're never testing to find out if we failed or passed. Right? You take a test to see if you fail or pass. You got a check engine light, and hello, you can take that thing to get it, get a safety mission and, 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 uh, and safety, you know, and, and emissions and all that. And you got that light on, there ain't nothing you can do unless you know somebody. Anybody know somebody? <laughs> Hook me up later. But even when you know somebody, see, my dad, he's, he's ghetto. My dad, he's country, but he's ghetto. He's, he's like a mix between ghetto and, and redneck put together. 
And what he did is he put something called tar tape. Anybody know what tar tape is? Who knows what tar tape is? Raise your hand if you know what tar tape is. Only a couple people. You know you older or white. Okay. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and and, and tar tape is what we call in the real world electrical tape. Okay, and, and, and electrical tape, he takes a piece of black tape and he puts it over the check engine light. Did anybody remember back in the day when you could put a piece of tape over, your, over the check engine light and then go get your safety and emission done? Ain't nobody? Just a couple. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you. Because you would pass, the, you would fail the test. Why am I talking about the test? I'm talking about the test because we need to be honest with ourselves. You can't tell if you passed or failed a test based off how much money you make. Because that could just be grace. You, you can't tell if you have failed or passed the test based off how many years you've been married. That could be grace. You wouldn't believe how many times people are operating in grace, but they think it's because of them. You ain't good. You've been failing tests for 30 years. The problem is that you are seeing the things that are happening in you as a success story because of you, but really it's God's grace that's been good to you, and you've been failing tests for a long time. But when you pull out a book and you begin to reflect and you journal and you make notes and you write things down, then you begin to really find out if you've been failing or passing. Think about this. If God can grace you and bless you and you're failing what if you started journaling and finding out those things in you that are not right and while you're failing, how much more can God bless you when you start passing the test? Right? I'm not talking about drinking and drugging. I mean, look, a lot of y'all have passed that. We're not talking about, I'm talking about like anger and greed and selfishness and, and ambition that is based on you. Like that, those are the things I'm talking about. Those things that really go undercover and disguised and we can dress them up real good and nobody even knows that we're messed up and passing or failing because we cover it up and shout and good preaching. Right? Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and 5. Sorry if you don't like this. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. So Lamentation says that we need to examine our ways. And now the Apostle Paul says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Then it says, test yourself. Uh Uh-oh. See, the reason journaling is so awesome is because it allows you some time to really set yourself apart. Some of you like to journal out in the wild. Some of you like to journal in your cars. Others like to sit in your house, in your living room, wherever. Some of y'all like to do it in your bathroom while you're going number two. I mean, that's cool. Just don't tell me because I don't want those images in my But, you know, anyway. All right. Um, so, so all that to say is it, wherever you journal, you just begin to journal and you write it down and you think and, and you just try to dissect and understand what God is doing in your life and where you are and what you've done wrong and what you can do different. How many would agree that there's something that I could have done different this year? Right? All of us. How many of y'all think most likely you're going to do it again next year? See, a lot of y'all lying. A lot of y'all's lying. Look, look, this is not the Baptist church you used to go to, okay? This isn't the church of God you used to go to. You can be honest here. You really can. You don't have to lie. We, we good? Okay, let's try this again. How many of y'all have messed up in 2018? See all those hands? How many of you believe that there's a very good chance you'll mess up with the same thing in 2019? Thank you. Still some liars, but it's Okay. How in the world can we avoid that? Well, the first thing we need to do is we got to start writing it down. We need to address it. We need to be honest about it. We need to say, here's where I fell short. Here's how I fell short. Here's something that I could have done that made me keep me from not falling short. And maybe here's something that I'll do different if it comes again. Because how many of y'all know it's going to come again? Right? So, so we need to begin to write these things down and talk about what we failed and figure out a way that next time we can pass. Psalms chapter 19, it says, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from my secret faults. Now, now this, 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 this is tough. Because when you journal you begin to write down the things you know you've done wrong. 
But now the author of Psalms chapter 19 is saying, God, I need you to reveal to me the things that I didn't even know I did wrong. Can I tell you that we are constantly doing things that are out of the will of God and we don't even know it? And we need to begin to pray this prayer and say, Lord, I don't know what it is in 2018 that I was doing that you weren't happy of and was keeping me from getting where you wanted me. But, Lord, I pray that you will reveal and begin to cleanse me from those secret sins in my life that I didn't even realize existed. Think about that. Think about all the sins you know of. What about the ones you don't? Have y'all ever realized you start getting really good in your faith and your walk and you're this great person and you just know that like you're so amazingly far along with God and you feel so good about your walk and the next thing you know, God reveals how jacked up you really are through something else, right? Happens all the time. Because we always have hidden sin in us that we didn't even know existed. We're human. That's why it talks about if we think we're without sin, we need to check ourselves, Because it doesn't matter how far along we go on this journey called Christianity, we're going to keep fighting to walk in the Spirit consistently. It's hard. So the number one thing if you want to see success in 2019 is begin to examine yourself. Okay? Everybody with me? So I love journaling. I don't journal as much as I would like to. I'm one of those journalers that get on, and I'm like, I'm good, man, and I'm typing out, and I'm journaling. I don't journal with paper and pen. I journal on my phone and my notes or, or my computer, and, and both of them, whether it's on my notes on my phone or my computer, I've got this running document, this Word document that is on the cloud, and I'm constantly adding things to it, and you'll see things from like 09, and then nothing for like the end of all the rest of 09, and then you'll see eight things for 2010, and then nothing for 11, and then 12 things things for 2012 and anybody journal like that (laughs) Becky thank you a couple of you that that's me but every time I journal it's so powerful isn't it Miss Susan I just saw Miss Miss yes it's powerful it's powerful because we start journaling and and things come alive in us and we begin to see things enough that, that, that aren't right and and I say that to you because if you can consistently reflect and meditate it'll change your life It's biblical. You're not a sissy. It's not for women. It's for anybody that wants to unlock success in 2019. Now, God's going to begin to reveal some stuff to you. He's going to begin to show you how stupid you are, how dumb you are. Then he's going to show you how valuable you are, how you're made in the image of God, how you can do anything. He's going to show you things that helped you. He's going to show you things that hurt you. And he's going to begin to reveal the big picture in you. And then your job, once he reveals some stuff, is to change. Everybody say change. Now, here's the problem. Most of the times we forget to change. We got the revelation but we forget to implement it. No, just me. Okay, so uh, second point for those that forget to change is don't forget to change. Now, now look, seriously, if you're going to meditate and, and, and begin to say, God, reveal to me those things that are inside of me. Forgive me for my secret sin. God, show me what I've done, how many times I've done it, where I failed you at, what's keeping me, what's messing me, what's getting in my way, and reveal it to me. Now, when you say that, do you know why he's revealing it to you? Because he wants you to change. Do you know the difference between knowledge and wisdom? I'm going to ask a question. Would you rather have knowledge or wisdom? Wisdom. How many would rather have knowledge? Don't raise your hand because that would be dumb. (laughs) I just wanted to help you out. Okay, here's why you don't want knowledge alone. Knowledge is when you know something, but wisdom is when you implement that which you know. See, our world is full of people who are knowledgeable, but they're not wise because there's been no implication of the knowledge. See, if you have knowledge alone, you know there's a God, you know this is evil, you know this is going to hurt you, know know this is going to make you sick, but yet you continue to go and eat, and as we keep talking about over-gluttony, you're like, you know, you're just going to go and keep going and keep going and keep going, and you know it ain't good. You know the doctor said you're supposed to quit smoking, that's knowledge, right? Why? Because you got 
clogged arteries or, or you know you're supposed to stop eating this way or you know you're supposed to stop doing this, this, and this. You, you know what you're supposed to do so you have knowledge of it, right? But you're still dumb. Why? Because you haven't yet implemented the knowledge. See, this is what I'm talking about, don't forget, because you can sit down all day and meditate and write out and journal and come up with the best structure for 2019, but if you don't implement it, there's a problem. Look what it says in James chapter 1. It says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face, y'all with me? He looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, some of y'all is laughing, right? But, but look, let, I'm going to talk about uh, uh, someone I talked to this week. Should I say his name? I'll say his name. It was Bishop, um, B- Bishop Tommy Powell. And, and I was sitting there, and we were talking, and he says, Brother Ray, I'm 60. He says, but, um, uh, he says let, me, let me show you something. He pulls his phone out, and he goes to this picture that he should have never showed because it was pretty embarrassing. But anyway, he goes to this one picture from like 19, I don't know, 60 or something, 70, 80. Who knows when it was? But uh, the reality is, is, is he was about 20 years old, and he's got this big full mustache and he's all young and just got married I guess that'd be about what 80 probably 80 80 early 80s and um, he says look at this picture and I looked at it he says every day I wake up this is the man I think I am (laughs) he says for some reason every time I look in the mirror I look different than the way I think I am in my brain and I began to think about that and I said that's so true for all of us because we look in the mirror and see one thing but then we go out and live and start seeing something else And that's exactly what's being said here. He says, look, if you're going to be this guy that hears the word of God, you reflect, you write down, you journal, you find out the things you need to do and implement, but then you walk away and forget it and don't do it. It's the same as a man who looks in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. The only way that we are going to be successful as Christians is if we actually walk out what we look like. Why is it that so many Christians are not seeing the Bible come alive in their life? Because the thing they have knowledge of, they're not living. And if you don't live what you know, you can't see what it has to offer you. So so really, knowledge in itself is actually quite dangerous. Because we know what we should do, but if we're not doing it, we're not going to see what it can unlock. But then it says, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If we want to be blessed in what we do, we need to implement what God reveals. 2 Samuel, look at verse 13 of chapter 12. It says, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord David pleaded with God for the child. And he fasted and he spent the nights lying in a sackcloth on the ground. David was desperate. Desperate. Desperate because he had messed up terribly. Messed up terribly. And and then Nathan comes along and says, hey, let, let me tell you something. Let me tell you about yourself. And David heard Nathan, let me tell you why I say that to you. Because failing is not a problem. Falling short is not the issue. Falling in sin, I'm cool with that, and so is God. The issue is what is your response to your sin? That's the issue. The issue is once the knowledge is revealed to you, what do you do then? Once God shows you as you journal and reflect and do self-examination and things begin to come alive in you and you begin to see life a whole different way, what do you do next? Can I tell you the difference between Judas and Peter is that Peter responded to his mistakes with pursuing Jesus again. But Judas responded to his mistakes with guilt and condemnation, and he took his own life. I can tell you about Saul and David. David, who responded to his mistakes by changing and chasing God, but Saul would not be teachable. He he would not be taught. He, He would not hear anyone. There's a difference. 
I, I say that to you because all God's looking for you to do, you can't clean up yesterday. You can't clean up last week, last year. You can't clean up 2018. The only thing you can do is say 2019 is about three or four weeks away. And, and God has been revealing some stuff in me that I need to do and I need to do differently. And I refuse to be like Judas. I refuse to be like Saul. I refuse to be someone that doesn't listen. I want to be teachable. God began to teach me your ways. And when God begins to teach, if you listen and put it into practice, God's going to bless you. But the problem is, is most of us make New Year's resolutions that end after just the first few weeks. Yeah? Okay. The next thing I want you to see is we need to live one day at a time. You got to live one day at a time. And any man can fight a battle for just one day. But what about if I told you you needed to add the burdens of today with two other days called yesterday and tomorrow? I think then you and I would begin to tremble because in the moment we're okay, but when you look at big picture, we begin to get lost. That's why so many people sign up for a master's degree or a PhD, but somewhere along the journey they say, eh, I'll settle with a bachelor's and go into business. Because when we begin to wrap our heads and hearts around these long commitments that affect our past, our present, and our future, it's so big, it's so risky, it's so scary that we decide that we want to find a different way out. But can I tell you, we need to think bigger than, than, than all of that and just focus on where we are right now today. Anyone can win a battle in a day, but how many can win a battle when it started yesterday? It's going today. It's going to be here tomorrow. It's going to be here next week. It's going to be here in a month. And, and then you begin to get overwhelmed and say, oh, how in the world am I going to ever do this? Well, it's quite simple. Just worry about today. It's not the experiences of today that drive men to distraction. It is the remorse and the bitterness for something that happened yesterday. And it's the dread of what could happen tomorrow that gets us all messed up right now. Let us not worry about what happened yesterday and we can't fix or change. Let us not worry about what's going to happen tomorrow when I go to work. And let me just be in the moment and appreciate my church family and my kids and the fact that I've got a home today and just stay in the moment. The reason most of us can't see success is because we're too busy thinking way far away or way far in the past and not basking in the moment called today. In Matthew chapter 6, it says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about what? Itself, right? Each day has enough trouble all on its own. We, I think we'd all agree to that. We know tomorrow is going to have something, right? So if tomorrow's going to have something, why think about the something that's tomorrow when you can focus on the something today? I mean, I mean, really, right? right? Y'all know where anxiety comes from, right? Anxiety is fear of what has not yet happened. Depression messes you up because of things that has happened. And the enemy is really good at using depression and anxiety in our culture today. Anxiety is an all-time high right now. All-time high. You know Why? Because our culture is taught when we want something, we can have it like that. Go get a credit card. Boom, it's yours. You want chicken? You don't need to fry it and batter it no more. Go get a hungry man. Boom, three minutes, bro. That ain't good enough? Go to Burger King. Window one, have it your way. Right? We get things quick. We get things quick. And, and then you get used to getting things quick. You get used to getting what you want. And then you start thinking about tomorrow may not be promised and you don't know if it's going to happen. And then you get full of anxiety because you want it today. See, we need to realize that the reality is, is God doesn't work the way we work. We shouldn't get anxiety because we don't know if we're going to get the job. Because if we don't get this one, God's got another one. I'm not going to focus on next week and, and the following month and will it come. Because the reality is, is God has gotten me this far. So I'm just going to be thankful for what I got right now. 
And you know what? I can't control what I did yesterday. I'm not going to focus on that. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to focus. I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm not going to be depressed and overwhelmed. I'm going to focus on today. See, can I tell you that it is very dreadful when we allow our tomorrow to be more of a pillar in our minds than today. I could tell you about so many moments between my wife and I that I missed because I was thinking about tomorrow rather than today. I could tell you about family outings, sitting at dinner, and we should be laughing and and joking and playing at the arcade and doing whatever we do. And while I'm riding around in the go-kart with my daughter in the passenger seat, I'm thinking about my workload tomorrow. And I miss what God is doing today because I'm thinking and dreading about tomorrow. And the enemy has such a great plan to destroy us today because we're too worried about tomorrow. I could tell you about Psalms 51 where it says, Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. David needed healing to move on. He was praying, Lord, wash me from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. What he was saying was, wash me from my past. Cleanse me from my stupid decisions. I know that I have transgressed. My sin will always be before me. Cleanse me with hyssop. Cleanse me, Lord, and wash me because I don't want my tomorrow to be affected by yesterday. And can I tell you that many times God has already forgiven you, but you have not yet forgiven yourself and the reason you can't enjoy today is because you're still stuck on yesterday we need to figure out a way to get to the place with the Lord that we just say God truly I need you to wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin because I don't want to keep living in 1988 you wouldn't believe how many Christians I know that are living 20 years ago right now Talking about when they got a divorce, how they cheated on their spouse, how their kids did this, how this happened and this happened. And, and look, you look, God, God can't use that. And the enemy knows it. It's time for us to move on. Look what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 12. This scripture right here was a scripture that, that really unlocked something great in Crystal. I remember preaching this message uh, at a funeral, and, and matter of fact, that sermon that Sunday at, um, at, at Brother Sam's funeral was, was Crystal's breakthrough. Where's Crystal at? I don't know where she is. It was her, it was her breakthrough. And, and she came that Sunday and has not missed since. And the reason that is is because for 20 years she's been living in bondage. She don't mind me sharing this story. I don't think. If she does, she'll tell me later. <laughs> It'll be too late then. But I'm going to share it. I just heard her cough, but I'm not going to look. <clears throat> 20 years ago, her mother passed away, and for 20 years, she lived in guilt, in grief, with pain, telling herself that if she moved on, maybe she doesn't love her mother. If she enjoys life again, then maybe that speaks something bad of her. And I remember standing up and preaching a sermon that Sunday morning in those five minutes and God began to do something radical when I read about 2 Samuel chapter 12 and I said on the seventh day the child was dead, David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead for they thought while the child was alive, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we tell him now the child's dead? He may do something desperate. They thought that he was going to kill himself. And they thought, man, if David is this depressed and the child is still alive, what will David do once they know the child's dead? And it says that David noticed his attendants talking and whispering among themselves, and he realized that the child was dead. And at that moment, after he realized the child was dead, David got up. Everybody say, got up. This is the important thing that I need everybody to get. After you do something stupid, you need to get up. The enemy wants you to stay down. 
Oh, if I would have just visited one more time. All if I would have just went the other way. All if I would have never took that hit. All if I would have never took that drink. All if I would have never said yes. All if I would have never said no. If I would have only moved when they told me to. If I would have never gave my kids to the system. If I would have just took that job 15 years ago. Why did I ever leave them? I wish I would have listened to my mother. Why did I ever do this? And we start replaying these things in our head. And we believe that our today is messed up because of yesterday and we constantly live in grief and anguish and despair and and we're, we're frustrated and we're depressed and we're overwhelmed and we know that our current life is because of our past. And David said to himself, there's no way in the world, God, I'm so sorry that I committed adultery with Bathsheba. I'm so sorry that I had her husband Uriah killed. God, I'm sorry that I had a baby out of wedlock and adultery. God, I'm sorry that I'm a king and I have a heart after you, but yet I got lost in sex. And now my kid's about to die because of me. Now for us, if our kid dies because of us, A lot of y'all will never rebound from that. You'll never rebound for that. You'll blame yourself for it and you'll never rebound. But David looked at himself and he said, David, David, you're a king. God has called you. He called you from the field. You were a shepherd's boy. Now you're shepherding God's flock. The enemy wants to destroy you, David. The enemy wants you to stay down, David. And for seven days, David worked through the anguish and the grief and the pain. And finally, he came with the reality that his baby died because of him. And he said to himself, I can't stay down. I got to get up. See, a lot of you haven't got up yet because you're still living what you used to do. God can't use me no more. I've been divorced. I've, 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 I've done this. I've messed up. There's no way. God can't use me now. And I just want you to know that you can get up again. You can get up again. The enemy wants you to stay in grief. He wants you to stay in pain and, and, and have all of these negative feelings inside of you. But we must figure out a way to say, I blew it in 2018. But I'm going to start new next year. And then when you fall in January, guess what? You're going to start new in February. And, and then when you start, uh, uh, you're just going to start all over again. Because, look, the Lord's mercy his compassion is new, how, how often? Every single morning, his compassion is new. And if you messed up today, just go to bed and you'll wake up and experience the compassion of the Lord all over again. People may not ever look at you the same, but it doesn't matter because you're going to get up anyway. Just imagine David, David going off and continuing to be king, probably driving around in big fancy uh, 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 horse and carriages with 22s on it. 26s, spinners, blinging out, right? Chair back. If you country redneck, he's like, eight, you know, had it, had it jacked up, like, you know, sky, um, Skyjacker 8-inch lift with 44-inch Super Swamper tires on it. David had a nice horse and carriage because he was the king. He lived in a nice house. He married a good-looking woman that he had adultery with. He ended up marrying the woman he committed adultery with and had a kid by her, and the kid, Solomon, became king. Can I tell you that he had to deal with ridicule? There were so many people on the outside saying, David really don't feel sorry about what he did because if he did, he would have never married Bathsheba. There's no way David really felt sorry about what he did because if he did, he would have never had Solomon. Surely he wouldn't have gave Solomon the kingship. There's no way that David had some sort of remorse because if David had remorse, he'd still be visiting the grave of of his other wife or of Uriah. If David had remorse, he wouldn't be the king no more. He would have handed over it to somebody else. See, because people think that after you mess up, you can't enjoy life anymore. And the moment you begin to get right with God and you change some things and the Lord begins to bless you, there will always be outsiders that I call church people. 
and they will criticize and say, oh, he had an adult, he committed adultery, and oh, 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 he, he went gay for a while, and, and oh, he, he did this, and oh, he did that, and, and they'll criticize and, and wonder why they're back on TV, and their ministry's booming, and God's blessing, and they must not be real, because if they were real, they'd be miserable. Can I tell you, even after you make a mistake, God will restore you, revive you, and use you, and you don't need to live in condemnation because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world that wants to destroy me and I'm not going to live in your critical finger pointing naysaying hypocritical junk anymore I am sorry God forgives me and I don't care what you think about me because I know that God loves me and I love him and I don't need to prove to you that I'm sorry to him for what I did to them it has nothing to do with you it's got all to do with me and him and them so peace out too many of us are continually trying to appease people we want to prove to people that we are sorry but we tell them once if they don't like it I don't care because God knows and that's all I need to do I'm exhausted trying to prove to you that I'm sorry for him because of what I did to them and if you don't like it tough We need to understand that God's grace is amazing. His compassion is a wonderful thing. His love is so long. His arms are so wide. He is so great and he will continue to use us and we can't allow church people, critical people, Pharisees and Sadducees and religious folks who sit up on their podiums and talk about how they're saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost and how everybody is going to hell because they've not been there. We can't allow that mentality to make us think because of our mistakes, God can't use us. See, David understood that, and he said, God, you know I'm sorry. I've killed Uriah. I've killed a baby. I commit adultery. I cheated on my wife. I've called problems in the kingdom of Israel. I'm not fit to be a king. Lord, I'm ready to just give up on everything. And I just imagine the Lord saying, David, I called you. I knew you were going to do this, David. I knew you were going to lose sight of me, David. I called you. And I just imagine the Holy Spirit spoke to David and said, can you rebound from your guilt? Can you rebound from your mistake? And I just believe for days David fought with, how can I be a king and deal with the ridicule? See, truthfully, it's easier to just die That's why a lot of people commit suicide, because it's easier to just end it than it is to face it. Can you imagine how hard it must have been for David to face this? All of the governors, the federal officials, the state officials, his family, Bathsheba's family, his children. Can you imagine everything that came? Think about the family dysfunction, the fights between the brothers, the rape. There was so much dysfunction in David's family, and I know every one of them probably said, if you wouldn't have done this, you wouldn't be here. But he kept moving forward. Why do I say that? Because the enemy wants you to stop. He wants your future to be so scary that you don't face it. And he wants your past to be so hurtful that you can't leave it. It's okay to move on. You don't need to prove that you loved them and keep visiting the grave. You need to move on. You can laugh and enjoy life, and it doesn't mean you love them any less. You can move on. But the world will tell you if you get a bigger house, it means you didn't care. If you get remarried, you must not have loved them. 
If you don't visit the grave every holiday, every birthday, and every special occasion, it must not have been real. Let me tell you something that's a lie. You know that you love them, and you don't need to prove it to anybody. It's time to move on. Get up. Everybody say, get up. We need to get up. God, help us to get up. The last point is this. Faith must overcome our fears. Faith must overcome our fears. In Acts chapter 4, verse 17, it says, But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them. From now on, they speak to no man in this name. It says, The leaders of the Jewish people went and began to threaten the apostles and said to them, Hey, y'all been preaching the name of Jesus for a while now, and revival's breaking out, and we don't like it. And they threatened them and said, if you don't get it together, we're going to put you in prison and possibly kill you. And the goal was that these threats would make them back down. So they called them all together and they commanded them not to speak anything else in the name of Jesus. Then you go down a few verses and it says, in being let go from being threatened by the leaders of the Jews, the apostles went to their own companions, meaning they went to the rest of the apostles, to their crew, and they reported everything the chief priests and elders had said to them. And they said, hey guys, guess what? We just got done at court. And they told us that if we talk any more about Jesus, they're going to put us in prison and potentially kill us. So when they heard that, they raised their voices to God and said, Lord, look on our threats. And grant your servants with all boldness that we can continue to preach the word. Can you imagine what would happen if the government would implement some law that would put us in prison, not make us eligible for certain tax benefits? Can you imagine if they would maybe even take our life if we went to church, had a Bible, or talked about Jesus? Most of the people in church would just say, I'd do without it. But these apostles said, Lord, make me more bold. Make me more bold, God, that I don't fold. See, because after this prayer for boldness, they became even more radical than they had ever been before. I say this to you because we all face fear. And if you want to do something amazing in 2019, you need to pray, God, kill this fear in me. Fear is a direct competitor of faith they do not complement each other they do not go hand in hand they go fist to fist faith will always tell you to move forward and and consider the things of God and who he is but faith will tell you to back down and chill because who knows what's going to happen In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. If you have fear, it's not from God. Now, you can have wisdom that tells you to be slow, be still, and not move. If you don't move, don't move because you're being wise, not because you're being fearful. Fear is not of God. You know why I got cold, uh, cold again? You know why I got quiet again? Because a lot of us deal with fear. Ah, man, I don't know. The the cost is too big. I'm not sure. But God gave us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. We are perplexed but not... We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not forsaken. We're struck down but not destroyed. What we see here is that problems are going to come in our lives. We're going to be pressed down. We're going to be perplexed, but not in despair. We're going to be pressed on every side, but not crushed. It's going to be hard, but we're going to make it every time. We don't need to be fearful because God's got us. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 11 and 6. It says, when someone comes to God, they must believe that he is. Talking about God is. And they must believe that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We need to believe that God is going to diligently reward us when we diligently seek him. We we have got to figure out a way that we start holding God accountable for his word. 
and holding ourselves accountable to live it. Lord, I just trust you. I know this is crazy and it doesn't make sense. I've only got $3,000 saved up. And, and, and I just really feel like that you've been telling me to invest $2,500 in this business. And people has been telling me it's the craziest thing ever. I've been sitting on this money three years. I've talked to my pastor. I've talked to my accountability. I've talked to my mentor. I've been praying about it. I keep dreaming about it. Everything points to yes except fear. You got to go. Some of the brightest people, some of the most innovative things, some of the most well-known names have come from people that said, I will not be scared. We got to go. It's not about our comfort. It's about God's glory. You want to be innovative and creative and cutting edge and do something amazing for God? Get out of the boat. In Hebrews chapter 13, it's the faith chapter. Faith chapter. When you begin to read the faith chapter, you'll find out all of the successful men and women who had faith and their faith took them to victory. And they received an amazing reward. But God in that chapter does not focus on their faults. He only focuses on their faith. And that's what I'm going to close with. If you read chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, you will see... That God only focuses on their faith. He does not focus on their faults. How in the world is Abraham a father of faith, but yet he was scared and lied to people and said his wife was his sister? How is Samson a man of faith and he failed with at least three women in sexual perversion? How in the world is Rahab a prostitute, a woman of faith? See, it's really quite simple. God is looking at your faith, not your faults. He's looking at your today, not your yesterday. He's wondering what you're up to right now, not what you were up to last week. God is an in-the-moment God. God is not like your ex-wife. Everybody say amen. God is not like your ex-husband. Everybody say, amen. amen. Now, hopefully God's not like your current wife. And Les is a good woman. Because God is just like my wife. Oh, everybody say, oh. No, okay. That's brownie points for when I get home. I say this, though, in all, all seriousness. I just want to say, really, we need to understand that God is not like people. He's not holding you accountable and captive to what you've done. He's not replaying it over and over and over again. It's done, man. It, it's done. And, and God's got a plan this year for you and for I and for us collectively. And the ball is in our courts, family. It's up to us. And really, we, we, we can do something, right? I mean, it's up to us, and we just need to say, God, the time is now. I'm tired of being scared. I'm tired of sitting back and, and weighing the cost, and when the cost is too big, I'm unwilling to move. I'm, I'm tired, Lord, of staying in the boat. I'm ready to leap out. I'm tired, Lord, of allowing fear to conquer faith. I'm tired, Lord, of focusing so much on what I was and so much on where I could end up that I don't even seize the moment. I'm tired, Lord. I'm tired of doing the same thing over and over, but I never sit down and write it out and develop a plan and change some things. I'm tired, Lord. Every year I say I'm going to do something different, same thing. I'm going to do something different, same thing. I'm going to change some things, same thing. And, and we need to get to the place that we're real honest with ourselves and say, it's not the government. It's not our culture. Do you know that businesses are popping up all the time around the world? The best place in the entire country to start a restaurant. You know where it's at? They say St. Louis. How many people here has always wanted to start a restaurant? And you think that you need to move somewhere else. 
You wouldn't believe how many people move here just to start restaurants. Like we are like a restaurant heaven with all these little amazing restaurants, culturally uh, uh, diverse restaurants all over the place. Minim, real little startup. Why, why do I say this? Because we need to change our perspective and stop thinking leaving is the answer all the time and start saying, God, what are you trying to do? What are you saying? How am I getting in the way? How am I my biggest problem? And what can I change, Lord? Father, I pray that you'll help us. That's my prayer right now. You'll help us. Pray with me for a moment, family. I pray that you'll help us, God. There are so many people here today that have ideas. They would love to have a different job but they're scared. They've been at the same job for so long and it's so comfortable and they know that they're set and, and things are well, but you've been speaking to them, Lord, but they're scared. Matter of fact, I feel right now that there's some people who are, are receiving some sort of assistance from the government and, and you've been on the fence about do I walk away from it and take this job or do I hold? And, and it's like it's such a risk and, and, and God is wanting me to just say, you need to face your future in faith. And don't always weigh just the pros and cons. Get people around you that, that can hold you accountable and pray you with you through these situations. I pray for business owners and CEOs and inventors and, and people who are super innovative. I, I pray, God, for people who have a heart for missions and evangelism. I pray for those that have a heart for the broken, but their job is getting in the way. I, I pray, God, for those that are in a tough place and, and they're looking for something different, God. I'm praying that next year won't be the same as this one. God, you're alive and well, you're progressive, you're cutting edge, and you're trying to do a new thing, not an old thing. You're not stale. God, we don't want to be stale. You're alive, we don't want to be dead. You're progressive, we don't want to be standing still. We want to be moving and shaking and maneuvering and doing a great work. God, I pray revival in us. Restoration. I pray, God, for our mojo to come back, a fresh wind to blow in us. I pray that you'll breathe on us, Holy Spirit, and begin to give us life again. I pray that we will no longer want to throw in the towel and call it quits, but we'll wake up in the morning ready to face our day, God. I pray for excitement. I pray for anticipation. God, we need you. Some of you have been in that seven-day journey with David mourning for a long time, and God told me to tell you, it's time to get up. It's time to get up. Matter of fact, if you say, I, I'm David, I'm David, and pastor, it's me, it's time to get up. I want you to join me right up front right now. If that's you, just join me. It's time to get up. It's time to get up. It's time. Everybody here that says, that's me, it's time to get up. It's time to do something new. It's time to get up. I, I, I get up, get up. If that's you, it's time to get up. It's time to get up. It's time to get up. Come up front. If that's you, it's time to get up. You say, Pastor, you spoke to me this morning. See, I want you to know, everyone who's coming up, that Crystal heard this word from the Lord. And God immediately set her free. And that's my prayer for all of you that's at this altar this morning. That God's going to immediately set you free. That he's going to do a work in your life immediately, instantaneously. I'm praying for a fresh wind to come in back in you. I'm praying for a fresh fire to come back in you. I'm praying for joy to come back. I'm praying for laughter to come back. I'm praying for your hope to be energized and your life to be changed. And everything that's been holding you down, you're kissing goodbye. And there's a new future for you. That's what I'm praying for you. A new creature in Christ. We are new creatures in Christ, God. We don't want to be who we were. I'm going to ask again, anybody else who says, I I'm ready. I'm ready. I want to get up. I want to get up. I'm ready for something new. 
I'm ready for something new. Come on. If that's you, don't stand there. I'm ready for something new. I've been, I've been murmuring and complaining. I've been stuck in this place of pain for a long time, and I'm ready to get up. I'm ready to get up. Thank you. Come on. Keep coming. Keep coming. Thank you. Keep coming. Don't be embarrassed. Don't have shame. It doesn't matter what people think about you. I'm ready to get up, Pastor. Thank you, woman of God. Thank you. Thank you. I'm ready to get up. God, I pray right now for every person that's at this altar. God, you know what they've been living in for a long time. You know what they've been holding on to, Lord. And they're saying they're tired, they're weary, and they're ready. Your past does not define you anymore, family of God. You can move beyond your worst mistake, family of God. God says he wants to give you your fire back, your passion back, your love for people back and for his word back. I pray for all the pain in your life, all the misfortune, all the hurt. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you will move forward and not with a bitter heart. I pray that your bitterness is being changed into being better and that you are going to walk in the glory and power of God and your hurt is not going to jeopardize your future anymore. Thank you for joining us and we hope this message blessed you. 